Praise God. Thank you, Anthony. Um, as Anthony just mentioned, a uh, couple things. Let's pray for our youth. And before I, I get into today's message, if I don't forget, I want to pause and pray for them. Um, they are right now probably ending their, their second session. Um, and uh, it's over 300 teenagers out there. And they're actually in southern Illinois. They're near Springfield, Illinois. That's why it was such a long drive. And so let's pray for their safety as they come back. Um, and uh, as Anthony mentioned, I was away for two weeks, taking a little bit of a break. And I, I'm always so encouraged to know this has always been a church, you know, even before I was a pastor, that, that the pastor could take some time away and nothing really fall through. There's still some solid word being preached. And I want to thank our elder, um, Jose Gonzalez, for bringing the word uh, two weeks ago. And then the surprise that a lot of you guys didn't know. Uh, that our worship leader, Jason Netherhood, could actually bring the word as well. So let's give them both a round of applause. <laughs> Praise God. God is good. And uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing and encouraging. It's also good for you guys to hear a different voice than mine. We're going to be starting. We are, as I mentioned several weeks ago, we are in a nine-week prophetic pause as a church. Normally, as a church, we have over 28 locations. We're all over the city for the good of the city in different neighborhoods. And we typically preach the same series, not the same message per se, but the same series. For, nine, for these past nine weeks, we've been on what's called a prophetic pause in which each location just goes on ahead and just seeks God for direction to see maybe what it is that God wants that location pastor to preach about. And so we've done some different things. Uh, and these last three weeks that we are in, in this pause, uh, I've decided to start a series uh, that I have titled, Believing God is good when life is not. Believing life is good, God is good when life is not. And it's actually going to be a series that is going to be going through the book of Habakkuk. Some of you guys are saying, what? What would you say? What book? I actually preached a, a message on this. This was a standalone message I preached probably, I want to say, maybe about a year ago or so. And I, I received some good feedback, and it was so good. And I, I said, even though this book is only three chapters long. So if you're one of those that says, I would like to read a book of the Bible, but, man, I can't do one of those 60-chapter books, Habakkuk is only just three chapters. You could probably read it all in uh, a couple minutes. And I decided to stretch this out for three weeks, kind of focusing in each chapter uh, and naming it, believing God is good when life is not. Habakkuk is an Old Testament minor prophet. Everyone say minor prophet. He lived and he wrote about 600 years before the birth of Christ. And he was a very, very different prophet. See, because first we've got to understand what is it, what's the primary responsibility for prophets? What is it that they are to do? Well, prophets are supposed to speak to people on behalf of God. The prophet receives a word from God. And that prophet goes on ahead and gives that word to the people. However, Habakkuk was not an ordinary prophet. He didn't speak to people on behalf of God, but he actually spoke to God on behalf of the people. And why? Because he didn't like what God was doing. Let us close our eyes really quick and pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you for this word that you are about to give to your people here this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to celebrate and to worship you collectively inside of this building, God. I pray right now for your word that's going to be given. I pray, Lord, that we would open up our ears to listen 
to what it is that you have to give us. I pray that you would open up our eyes to see what it is that you are showing us. Lord, and I pray, God, that you would soften up our hearts to receive the word that you want to give us here today. We also pray for the youth, Lord, that are uh, Lord, down in central or, or in southern Illinois today, Father, receiving the last of this day of retreat, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would turn lives, that you would inspire lives, Father God, Lord, that you would motivate them, Father God, that they would understand that as Christ followers, they are not in the minority. Lord, we pray, Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, for their safe returns and for this message. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So Judah, that region of Judah had been blessed. But now there was some corruption, there was deception, and instead of that area there, that part there of, of Judah, instead of them prospering, they were hurting. This, these people were now in poverty. And so what Habakkuk does is he goes on ahead and he unleashes on God. And 2,600 years ago, Habakkuk is asking the very same question that so many people, that maybe so many of you here today are asking, and he wanted to know. The question was, why doesn't God seem fair? Why doesn't God seem fair? There's some situations maybe that you may be going through right now. You're asking that question. Come on, be real. There are some circumstances maybe that, uh, that, that you see around this world that are happening that just don't make sense. It doesn't add up. Why, God? Then we start thinking and we start saying, God, I know that you can do something about this. Why? Because our God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. God can stop anything in, with a snap of his finger. But we look at the violence. We look at our, our, our circumstances, and we say, God, but you're not. And I don't understand. This book is three chapters, and today we're going to be focused on chapter 1, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, open them up with me to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1. We'll also have the verses up on the screen. But in verse 1, uh, I'm just really quickly, essentially, it just says that he receives a prophecy. It says that he receives a prophecy, and the Hebrew word for that, for that word there, prophecy, means an utterance. It means doom. It means a burden. It's, it's not just a prophecy, but it's a dooming prophetic word. It's a weight in which Habakkuk receives from God. And so he receives this, and he goes to God on behalf of the people, and then he goes on ahead and he asks God this question, in verse 2, which is what I'm going to focus on and read to you here today. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. This is Habakkuk talking to the Lord. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? I wonder how many of us have said that? How many of us here today have thought those very same words? How many of us have, have, has those words come out? You see, what I love about Habakkuk is that he's raw. Come on. He's real. He's not trying to sugarcoat 
things. He's not trying to sanctify his prayer to God. He's going straight up to God with his emotions. And as a pastor, one thing that I hope you've noticed is I try to tell you as a church to go to God with a real, raw heart. His name, Habakkuk, it tells the story. The name Habakkuk means to embrace and to wrestle. Everyone say that, embrace and wrestle. These are two words that we're going to be talking about today. Because to embrace, especially to embrace the Lord, is, is to kind of know who God is, to know his strength, to know how mighty, how glorious he knows he is, to know the promises in which God gives us. That is me embracing in the Lord. But the thing is, many of us also wrestle. I don't really have to explain what wrestling means. To kind of struggle with something, to, to go back and forth. And that is what Habakkuk's word, uh, name means, to embrace and to wrestle. And that's what we see him doing here. Habakkuk is doing everything that he can to embrace who he knows that God is. But because what he sees doesn't line up with what it is that he believes, he's wrestling with God. How is that for us? What we know about God and what we see, sometimes we kind of say, man, this is, this is not exactly, this doesn't line up. And so we wrestle with God. We embrace and we wrestle. Let me state a, a quick warning, and I want everybody to say, uh-oh. I, I miss you guys. <laughs> I miss you guys. Lean over to your neighbor and say, uh-oh. Listen. This is not news to you, but life is not a sitcom. Life is not a sitcom. You know, when I think of sitcoms, I always, you know, he's, not, he's no longer with us no more, but I always think of Danny Tanner, you know, from Full House walking into the room, uh, to, to his uh, DJ's room or Stephanie's or Michelle's room and just kind of talking, doing that dad uh, speech to them. But how many here grew up watching sitcoms, right? What, was, what, what happens in a sitcom? Right? At the beginning of the sitcom, everybody's happy, right? Then there's tension, there's some drama, there's problems, there's challenges. But the beautiful thing about a sitcom is that by the end of the 30-minute sitcom, including commercial breaks, everything has been resolved. Right? There was sometimes in some of these sitcoms, there was so much tension in them, I, I had to remind myself, there's five minutes left. This is all gonna get fixed. Every problem was resolved by the time the show was over, except for those, the, those, those few times that there was to be continued. And you're left at the edge of the, your seat waiting for next week because there was no binging back then. Life is not a sitcom, church, right? We know that. In life, everything is not resolved within 30 minutes or less. Some of us get frustrated because we try to do that. In life, sometimes things aren't resolved in 30 days. In real life, sometimes things aren't resolved in 30 years. Some of us are still walking around with some unresolved issues in our hearts that happened to us maybe when we were a lot younger. The reality is in life, sometimes you, 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 you lose your job and the reality is you might not find a better one. You might get another job, and you're going to say, man, I'm way, way, way overqualified for this. And you're going to probably sit there, and you're going to say, man, I feel like a failure. Sometimes in life, you're going to think that your marriage is good. Listen, you're going to say, man, I really love my spouse. But you're going to realize, man, maybe 
Something happens in life that your spouse betrays you, and instead of them owning up to their mistakes, they blame you, and eventually they just leave you. That happens in life. Sometimes in real life, you love your life so much, and man, things are going so good, and all of a sudden you get sick. And the doctor says to you, you have cancer. And so you go to war against that cancer, and you pray, and you have all the faith in the world, and you fight it with chemo, and you end up beating that cancer, whatever type of cancer that it is, and you thank God for it. Praise God, right? And then several years later, the cancer comes back, and you don't understand, but you're wrestling, and you're trying to embrace. And then some well-meaning Christian goes on ahead and comes along. We know we all have them in our lives, in the middle of your trial. And they say to you, brother, sister, trust in God. God is in control. All you need to do is let go and let God. Folks, I mean, they don't mean wrong. While their theology may not be bad, and while their heart is good, the more that you tell, they, they tell you to let go and let God, the more you want to do what the Bible says to them and lay hands on them, you know? Because though their theology may be good at this moment, the reality is that your faith feels wrecked, and you feel raw. Come on, that's been all of us. That's been all of us. We receive the good word. You can give me the best word in the Bible, but if my faith feels wrecked at that time, man, it's really hard for me to hear that. I've heard stories of how these encounters have gone. Sometimes the reality, church, is that God doesn't feel good in the moment. Because you know that he can do something. You know that he can stop whatever's causing you pain. But he doesn't. You don't understand why. Well, Habakkuk feels the same way. He feels just like this. And so he goes on ahead and he asks a question in verse 3. Let's have verse 3 up on the screen. It says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoings? These are all Good questions. Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. In other words, he's kind of saying, God, I, I, don't, I don't really think you're doing what is right. What are, what are Habakkuk's problems with God? What are his problems with God? He's not speaking to the people on behalf of God. He's going to God on behalf of the people. And he's got the same problem that many of us have with God. And what are his problems? The first one is he's, he's kind of thinking and he's kind of saying, God, you don't seem to really care. You don't seem to really care. And listen, in your darkest of times, I don't care how strong you are in the word of God, you may have felt this way. You allow all this suffering, Habakkuk is saying. All these things he says to God. The second issue he has with God is he's kind of saying, you aren't doing much when you could. You have the power to do something and you're not. And I don't understand, God. He does say all these things to God. The next issue that he has, what he's saying is, and he kind of says this to him, what you are doing doesn't seem fair. Have you ever felt this way? Where sometimes you just want to know, God, are you still even paying attention? Do you even 
care. I want you to be honest with yourself. I want, don't, don't, be, don't say, I can't preach this because I'm in church and he's going to strike me. No. Be honest with yourself. A good question is, is it okay to ever question God? Is it okay to push back on God? Is that wrong? Is it unholy? Is it unfair? Well, can I tell you, you know, let, let me tell you this. About a third of the Psalms are cries to God about pain. Remember, I told you, it's not about what you do. It's what are your intentions behind what it is that you're doing. You can question God. You can push back on God as long as that is not leading you down a path towards sin. About a third of the Psalms are Christ to God about pain or songs in the middle of trials that people just don't understand. You think you have problems. Man, start reading some of the Psalms. Several books of the Bible, actually entire books of the Bible, when you look at the book of the Lamentations, the, the book of the Ecclesiastes, the book of Jeremiah and of Job, they express confusion of what appears to be unjust suffering for the righteous. Even Jesus Christ on the cross when he was perfect in every way and he becomes sin for us. Because remember, he never sinned, but he never sinned, but he became sin. And God looks away. God pulls back and Jesus cries out, why? Remember that? Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God. I'm your son. I did everything right. Do you remember that? Those words? Why do you pull away from me? I want to exp explain it to you like this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at some point you had some version of this story. You're maybe hurting or life is good or whatever the case may be, but you recognize that there must be more to life. And maybe you go to church. And as you go to church, the Spirit of God touches you. Maybe it's in a song. Maybe someone prays for you. Someone witnesses to you. You see something. You have a trial, a tragedy. You recognize that you're doing life without God, whatever the case may be. And you call on Jesus and you experience his grace. You experience his forgiveness. You experience his mercy and boom, wow, life is amazing now. You're on the mountaintop and you go to church and every sermon seems like it was written just for you. You feel like, man, God is speaking to me with every sermon. You go into your car, and it's your favorite worship song. You're over here praising God while you're driving. You go onto the mall, and you get that perfect parking spot. And you pray to God, and God answers your prayer immediately, and he gives you more, and life is just incredible. Raise your hand if that's been you at some point. Come on. It has. Sometimes everything is just clicking, man. Sometimes everything is working out good. And so you say, God is good. Thank you, God. Life starts happening, though, and sometimes some things start happening that aren't so good. You go to church and the sermon was, eh. It must have not been me, preacher. <laughs> it wasn't bad, you, you think to yourself. Or, or, or you know what? Maybe God was speaking to someone else. That's why I didn't feel the sermon so much. You get in the car, and that's the song now that you don't like. You go to the mall, and now you can't find that parking spot. You pray a prayer, and not only does it not happen, but the opposite happens. Something bad happens. Your daughter gets sick, and she doesn't get better. You pray for your grandmother to get better, but she dies. Your boyfriend, the Christian, goes on ahead and cheats on you. The person that you looked up to and you admired does something wrong. 
The doctor gives you news that you don't believe you deserve to receive. Whatever it is, it happens to all of us. Whatever it, it is, the, re, the, the, the thing is, life does these types of things. And at some point, many of us have what Henry Blackaby in Experiencing God calls a crisis of belief. God, if you're so good, why am I not here? Why am I here? I don't know if you're involved. Do you even care? And about right about this point in that crisis of unbelief, most people think that we've got two options. When you're in that moment where you're starting to question God, when you're in that moment where you're starting to push back a little bit towards God, we think that we only have two options. The first one, which unfortunately a lot of people do, and they do it with good intentions, is they just deny the bad. They just deny the bad. Okay, this isn't happening. God is still good. This isn't happening. I'm just going to pretend like we're, we're up here, and I'm going to deny that anything is happening. The other people say, well, you know, what if I'm living this life right now, and I'm low, and I'm down here, and God's not doing anything good, then the reality is that God must not be real. Some of us start to think, just forget it. Screw it all. Forget it. I tried church. I tried God. I tried the Bible. Forget it. And they're out. They're done. They were living in that valley for far too long, and God didn't answer or do anything. So God must not be real, and they leave. They no longer want or are interested in a relationship with God. You see, a lot of people think that there's only two options. But there's not two options. There's actually a third option. And that option is that in the middle of the pain, the thing that you can do is you can wrestle. In the middle of pain, you can wrestle. I don't get it. I'm confused. And as best as you can to continue to embrace in the promises of God, to embrace in how good it is. And when you do this, sometimes you realize, man, life is not getting any better. As a matter of fact, it's kind of feeling like it's getting a little bit worse. And when you're embracing God and when you're, and you're wrestling with God through these storms, through these valleys, then you got to do what James tells us to do in James chapter 1, verse 2, when he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking nothing. See, we, here we start seeing that we need to be embracing and wrestling because sometimes the hard, difficult seasons in our life have a purpose. Not just to make you cry, not just to make you discouraged, but actually to make you stronger. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I don't think we got it up on the screen, but it's, it's, it's something that really popped out to me, and that is that the way to true intimacy with God is not to live on the mountaintop. See, many of us Christians, we want to live on that mountaintop. For us, we are, we're receiving all the blessings and grace of God as long as we are staying up in that mountaintop. The way to true intimacy with God is not to live on the mountaintop, but it is to get to know his faithfulness in the valley. 
The way to true intimacy with God is not to live on the mountaintop, but to get to know his faithfulness in the valley. Man, I don't know about you, but some of the deepest, strongest conversations that I have had with God has been while I've been in the valley. When you're down, when you can't see, when there's darkness, when there's confusion, when there's so many things falling down upon you, when you feel the weight of the world on you, but yet you cry out to God. You embrace him for what he is, but you wrestle with him because of what you're going through. In those times, I believe that the voice of God is even clearer. For some of us, we want to stay on the mountaintop, jumping around and saying, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed and highly favored. The reality is for some of us that are living in that state, we need to say, God, you need to send me to the valley a little bit because my, my relationship with, with you needs to get deep. Think about some of the strong relationships that you have right now in life. Let, may it be with your spouse or with some really good friends. Why are those relationships so strong? Because you guys have been through some rough stuff together, and you have remained together. You know, that's what people say, you know, what they used to say back in the day was, ride or die. You know, it's my ride or die chick. Psalms 23, talking about getting to know him in the faithfulness of the valley. Psalms 23, chapter 4, one of my favorite, even though I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. God is not a God that just stands high and meets people when they're at the top of their game. God is a God who loves to meet people when they are in the lowest of their low, when they are in the darkest, deepest pit season of their life. God meets you right where you're at. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, church, today if my faith in God is, is, is here, it's not because I stayed down here when things got tough. It's because I continued to wrestle. It's because I continued to embrace through the valley to have a stronger relationship with God. If I'm in a crisis of belief and, and we're finding a new level of intimacy, it's not because we deny it. It's not because we walk away. It's because we continue to embrace who God is. And there's somebody here. This is what you need to do. If you are finding yourself or if you're watching us online and you're finding yourself in a crisis of belief, and the reality is we all get there at some point. I've been there plenty of times. This is Habakkuk. God, this doesn't seem fair. And I don't understand. Guess what God does when Habakkuk goes on ahead and voices his pushback towards him? God responds to him. And this is where it gets so good. This is where it gets so exciting. Are you ready to, you ready to hear God's response? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. This is what God says. Are you ready? Verse 5. Look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. This sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, this gets me excited. I'm like, you know. And I could imagine Habakkuk probably saying, finally, God, you're going to do what's right. God, you're going you're gonna to go on ahead and relieve the pain. God, you're going you're gonna to go on ahead and make us prosperous. We're, we're going to be blessed. We're going to be utterly amazed at you, God. You're going to do something that we wouldn't believe even if you told us. 
This is what God continues to say. You ready for this? Then God tells him he's going to use the Babylonians. If you don't know who the Babylonians are, in this sitcom, they're the bad guys. They're the enemy. They're no good, as we like to say, no bueno. God continues to say this in verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. Listen to this. Listen to this. Who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Think about that as he's describing who he's about to raise up to come against them. You know what God is pretty much saying? You think it's bad now? Habakkuk, my son, it's about to get worse. And that's something that we're in. Can you imagine you're in that season of your life? You may be in it right now. Maybe you were in it before where you felt like, man, I can't handle no more. And just imagine and some of you guys don't have to imagine because you experienced it. Just when you thought it couldn't get any harder, when you thought it couldn't get any worse, it gets worse. It gets harder. You get another bomb thrown at you. God is saying, Habakkuk is about to get worse, and I'm going to use your enemies to bring justice. Why? Because of their sin. And this makes absolutely no sense to Habakkuk. What do you do, church? When you find yourself there where Habakkuk was. What does, a, what does a committed believer of God do in a moment like this? What does a committed believer do? You can do two things. You can wrestle with honest questions and you can embrace a genuine faith in God. That's what I want you to try to do when you find yourself in this season where you're questioning, where you're pushing back, where things don't seem so fair, even right now. I want you to give yourself the permission, or I want to give you the permission as a believer of Jesus Christ to wrestle with honest questions and to embrace a genuine faith in God. And you can do both of them at the same time. Why? Because we see Habakkuk do it. I want, I want you to watch as Habakkuk does this. He tries he tries to embrace. I'm going to take you through this, okay? He tries to embrace, and yet he doesn't understand, so he's wrestling. Watch it. I want you to watch it, see it, feel it, whatever it is. He embraces, and he says in verse 12. This is him embracing, right? Embracing who God is in his promises. He says in verse 12, Lord, you are not, are, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. That is, that is Habakkuk embracing who God is, who he knows God to be. So what he's saying is, I'm embracing you, but God, he goes, you've appointed our enemies to execute judgment. So he starts off by embracing God, but now he's wrestling. I know who you are. I know you are everlasting. You are holy. You will never die. But he's wrestling with, but you're appointing the enemy to come towards us. And he says, my rock, he continues. That's him embracing. He's embracing God as who? As his rock, as his solid foundation. But you ordain them to punish. He's back to wrestling. You see that? He's going back and forth from embracing to wrestling. God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. 
I could imagine, you know, he's saying, I love you, God, and I'm embracing you. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. He's embracing. He's continuing to embrace God. But why do you tolerate the treacherous? You see, he's embracing God for who he is, but now he's back to wrestling. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? The, the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up these more righteous than themselves? All of this in a nutshell, it's like Habakkuk is, is he's trying to embrace, but he's also trying to wrestle. I want you to listen to me. That is, if you are there right now, maybe, for any specific reason, what I want you to know is that God understands your pain. God understands your pain. He understood the pain of Habakkuk, and he understands your pain right here, right now. And he welcomes your questions. God is not a God that you can't go to with questions. And I'm convinced, church, I am truly convinced that God would rather you yell at him out of frustration than have you walk away from him. He would rather... You be standing there saying, why, 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 not understanding, than just saying, God, I quit you. When you hit the wall, when you hit the crisis of belief, listen, don't deny your thoughts. When you hit the crisis of, relief, uh, uh, of belief, when you, when you hit the wall, don't, don't, don't deny your doubts. Don't, don't run away from God. Let your doubts drive you to continue to embrace even when you wrestle with God. Let those doubts drive you to him. God, what does your word say about this doubt that I'm having right now? What does your word say with, 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 with how I, I'm confused? Help me. Do, study. Read the word. Begin to speak to God. Not only will you get an answer, but you will grow closer with him as well. What if honestly acknowledging your doubts, church, is your first step towards building a deeper faith? Think about that. Sometimes we feel like we got to go to God with everything all together. What if you go to him with your doubts? God, I doubt this. Do you know how freeing that is? God, I want to give you my whole life, but I'm, I'm really doubting this. Well, I'm not so sure about that. God, I want to believe you're real, but I, I'm having an issue with this. Go to him with that. Because that just might be the first step towards building a deeper faith. Not reading that book, not going through that study, but being open with your doubts to him. What if embracing your secret questions opens the door for a maturing knowledge of God's character? What if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with him requires you to bear something that feels unbearable? Some of you, the relationship that you have with God today is because you were in a position in life where you felt like you had nowhere else to go, or you felt like the weight of the world was on you, or you felt like you were dying, not just spiritually, but physically. And it was that moment, it was that experience that drove you towards having that beautiful relationship that you have with him today, to hear him through an ominous utterance, to trust him in the moment of doom to embrace his strength when you are weak and with a burden? What if it takes real pain, church? Listen to this. 
what if it takes real pain to experience a deep and abiding hope? You see, sometimes people say, we're going to be ending shortly. Sometimes people say, well, God will never let you experience more than you can handle. How many people have heard that? God will never let you experience more than you can handle. Can I tell you something if you give me the permission to as your pastor? That's a misinterpretation of a verse that says God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I really believe that sometimes God will allow us to have more than we can handle. Okay? And I hope you're feeling the weight, because I am, while I'm preaching this word to you, I'm feeling the weight of this message. Sometimes the God that you love, the God that you serve, the God that you call Abba Father, is going to allow you to have more than you can handle for one reason. You know what that reason is? Because it teaches us to call on him. Because if, you, if he wouldn't give you nothing you can't handle, then you'd be able to eventually handle everything. You wouldn't need him. God has to sometimes get through our proud, thick, stubborn, hard-headed heads that you can't do this thing called life without me, that I didn't design you to live life without me. I designed you to live life with having a relationship with me. I designed you that, yes, you're going to go. In this world, you will have troubles. In this world, if you are going to try to live for me, it is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to be abandoned at times by others. You're going to feel like the world is choking you out. That's the time where you need to call on me so that you can see who I am. Remember, I told you in the beginning of this message, life is not a sitcom. Things don't get resolved in 30 minutes. We're still in chapter one. There's three chapters. Next week, we're going to talk about chapter two, but can I warn you, chapter two doesn't get much better. But one thing I want to tell you as your pastor is don't walk away from God in chapter one. Don't walk away from God in chapter one. You ready for the good ending of this sermon? It's not. Sermon's over. Church, I have this incredible weight on my heart right now. I just feel like crying. I believe it's just the presence of God just kind of allowing me to feel some of the burdens of the church. Normally in the sermon, we have these three points to get things better, and we, you know. But it's not a sitcom sermon. It's only chapter one. We'll continue as we go on forward. Can you close your eyes right where you're at? Father, I pray for those today who find themselves in chapter one, Father God. I pray, Lord, that they would have the courage and feel the permission to wrestle while they try to embrace. Lord, I have a heavy heart for those who have questions, for those that don't understand, for those who are wondering, for those who are hurting. And God, at this moment, I want to thank you 
that you've given us this book. And it gives us permission to just sometimes tell you that we don't like it. To tell you that we don't understand. To tell you that we don't even agree. But God, somehow, Lord, I pray that you would help us cling on to your character, God. Your nature to believe that you are good even when life is not. And God, I pray for, for someone maybe here today who feels like they've tried it, that they've tried you, and they want to walk away. God, I pray right now that they would not walk away. Lord, please help us, God, not to let our doubts drive us away from you. But God, enable us to allow our doubts to drive us to you, the one who would never leave us, the one who would never forsake us, the one who holds us with their mighty right hand. Give us the faith, God. Give us the courage, not to pretend to be real, God, but to be raw with you. Even while we're wrestling, God, help us continue to embrace. Father, we love you. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus' holy, mighty name. The church of God says, amen, amen, and amen, church. Make sure to join us next week for chapter two. And now it's time to lift this weight off a little bit because we've got something exciting that's about to take place right now. Because someone here today is publicly going to say, listen, maybe that was me. I have felt the weight, and maybe I still struggle with it. I felt the weight. I, I, I try to do this thing called life on my own. I try to go out ahead and, 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 and be as good as I possibly could. And then they realize the reality that no one could be good enough. There was a time in which Jesus had already ascended up into the heavens, and, 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 and the church was starting to form itself, and the disciples are going around. And they're preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. That no one is righteous, not even one. That the wages of sin is death. We all deserve destruction. But Jesus Christ, a relationship with him offers a life in eternity with the one true God. He bridges the gap between a sinful people and a holy God. And there's a time when there's a story where, where people are gathering and they're listening to Peter going on ahead and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's preaching this good news, the same thing that I just told you right now. And someone yells out, hey, I'm going to paraphrase this story. Hey, what is it that we have to do to be saved? What is it that we have to do to have eternal life? And Peter says, well, you need to repent from your sins. You need to turn from your sins. You need to go toward God. You need to believe in Jesus Christ and you need to be saved. You need to be baptized. The Bible says that over 3,000 people that day, think about that sermon, man. It had nothing to do with his notes. He probably didn't have any. It had all to do with the power of the Holy Spirit convicting the hearts of the people. And that day they began, can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people? That must have taken a while. But when we get baptized, what we're doing is we're saying, listen, we've already given, we've given our life to Christ. But, but by being baptized, we are publicly making a statement that as we go into that water, just as Jesus Christ was put into the tomb after he was crucified on that cross, the, that that was the old us. 
Dude, that we are dying to, to a way that honor, a life that honors sin. And when we come out of that water, we are a new creation. That happens spiritually when we make the decision to follow Christ. But when we do baptism, we are physically showing that example. And we have someone here today who has decided to take that step. Someone who we were able to link up with a mentor and went three weeks or whatever the amount of time was to go through this begin book that we have that explains to us what baptism is, what it is, uh, what repentance means. And that is Nick. Nick, can you come on up? Let's give him Nick a round of applause with his mentor, Julian. Nick also has his family here from, from New York. So it's a pleasure having you guys here. Julian, you can come up, come right up. Nick, I want to give you the opportunity here to go on ahead and speak to the church from your heart, whatever it is, and, and, and why. Why did you decide to get baptized? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's hard to put into words what this process has been like for me over the past 15 months. Um, I was fully living in the ways of the world. Um, but this is about me making a public promise. Um, I promise to follow Jesus Christ to the best of my ability for the remainder of my days. Um, I want to read a verse, one of my favorites, that kind of fits along with the message. Um, it's Hebrews 12:2. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to thank all my friends and family that came out to support me today, and I want to thank my mentor, Julian, I also want to thank all of you, my, my New Life family. Thank you, Nick. Apart when we get baptized, we don't, I like to think, we, we, you know, someone gives their life to Christ, we don't say, okay, all right, yay, figure it all out on your own. We try to link you up with a mentor, someone that can walk alongside of you. Uh, we have this nice little book that kind of goes through some basics uh, and tries to kind of help, you know, lead people uh, into what it is that they're doing, and that's called mentorship. And I want to go on ahead and give Julian the opportunity. When I reached out to Julian, I said, hey, Julian, man, how would you feel uh, of mentoring Nick? And right away, he said, for sure, for sure. So I want you to, Julian, kind of give the church a little bit of how it was uh, to mentor Nick through this process and also why maybe they should, you know, look forward to doing something just like this. Yeah, so uh, Nick, uh, it, first of all, it was an honor and a privilege to uh, – walk alongside of you at this time, this season, you know, um, it was amazing to see you walk in here and embrace everything God had for you and to hear your stories and to go back and forth and have these conversations. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a real honor and privilege, uh, in many ways, one, because you're so intelligent. Number two, you are so sincere and dedicated. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that, that just fosters a lot of great conversations. And I think that's good. That is like what Pastor Lewis was saying, us wrestling with God in so many ways. So it's been an honor and privilege. And um, I think uh, for anyone who would uh, potentially be a mentor, you have to look at it that way. It's an honor and privilege. And as you mentor someone, man, it, it kind of sharpens you as well. It's iron sharpening iron. So it's, it was a real joy and a pleasure. It's, it's great to see this day finally come. So real happy about that, Nick. Definitely is a pleasure, Nick. Nick, I just wanted to share this. Uh, I see the fire that you have for the Lord, and and when I when I when I'm up there giving the message, you know, some some people have droopy eyes, you know, they're tired. I put them to sleep, 
but but Nick sits literally like at the edge of his seat with his eyes open, just bringing and soaking in each and every single word, and always seeing him with a smile. Nick, and I know that none of us are perfect, right? We have struggles, we have battles, but it has been an honor to be your pastor. Nick started coming here right after, once we reopened up the church uh, after COVID, uh, and he's been faithfully here uh, every single week and helps out with PR. So Nick and church, listen, we can't take you all to the tub as Anthony, I, I steal his words. We can't take you to the back, but we will have them up on the screen. And what we like to do with baptism, we like to celebrate. So I want you guys to stand up, join Jason, clapping your hands. This is a celebration and watch this baptism take place. Wandering into the night Wanting a place to hide This weary soul A bag of bones I try with all my might But I just can't win the fight I'm slowly drifting a vagabond And just when I ran out of road I met a man I didn't know And he told me that I am not alone You picked me up You turned me around You placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the master. I thank the savior because you healed my heart. You changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. Had I lost another one, I am free, I am free, oh, I am free. Had I lost another one, I am free, I am free, yeah, I am free. Had I lost another one, I am free, I am free, I am free, yeah. Had I lost another one, I am free. I am free, yeah, because you pick me up, you turn me around, you place my feet on solid ground. I thank the master, I thank the savior, because you healed my heart, you changed my name, I'm forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the master, I thank the savior. I think.